and Lord, a hand clap of praise. If you need something dead in your life to come back to life, just go ahead and give him some praise for about 10 seconds. He turns bones into armies. My God in heaven. Woo! Seasoned highways. He's the only one who can. Every time the devil whispers in your ear and says that it can't happen, you just remind him who he's dealing with because he's the only one who can. It may not come from the government. It may not come from your spouse. Mama may not be able to help you, and Daddy may have abandoned you when you was a baby, but he's the only one who can. He'll make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. He'll do the impossible just to show the devil he's still on the throne. I wish somebody in this church who needs God to move in their life would give him about three seconds of your best prayer. God, we need you today. We need you today. My God, my God, my God. Every time the devil thought he was shutting you down, God showed up and made a way where there seemed to be no way. The devil thought you'd be dead by now. You'd have quit by now. You'd be in a mental institution by now. But you are still here today because your God is the only one who can. Hallelujah. And some of you ain't as committed to him as you ought to be. Some of you haven't even taken that step yet. And he still has preserved you. He still has protected you because he ain't done with you yet. And the devil would like you to believe that God don't love you and would abandon you and walk out on you. But you're still here for a reason. And there's a purpose for your life. And your existence hasn't been wasted. All that hell you went through, it led you to this place. So this preacher and this praise team can tell you, he's the only one who can. Take care of cancer, he's the only one who can. Take care of your diabetic problem, he's the only one who can. Put your marriage back together, he's the only one who can. Bring that prodigal son or daughter home, he's the only one who can. You better give God some praise, he's the only one holding it together for you. My God in heaven. That's not my sermon, that's free this morning. Can we just one time give it up for this praise team? We have got a great praise team. I don't know what kind of anointing Brother Brad's got on these fingers over here, but he's something else. I hear that guitar back here in that back room, and it just makes me want. uh, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, they're, they're worthy. Thank you so much for bringing us into the presence of the Lord. Are you glad to be in the house of God today? Wow, what a great looking crowd this morning. Hallelujah. The devil thought he'd kill the church, but the devil didn't bring the church into existence. The devil ain't got that kind of power. Amen. 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 While you're standing, just go ahead and and remain standing. I'll jump right into the sermon scripture, and then I'll let you have a seat before I begin my sermon. Since Since we're already... Uh, On our feet, let's oblige the Word of God. Genesis chapter 22. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. I'll have a big one behind my head. Genesis chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Now, I need to stop right there and tell you that this is chapter 22. This is not where Abraham's story began. If you go back and read just one chapter earlier, you'd have thought God already tested Abraham's faith. God made him send away his firstborn son and his baby mama. 
God told him, it's time to send them away. It's causing too much conflict in your life. Send them away. He told Abraham earlier than that to leave his father's house and walk this way, and I'll tell you where to stop. You'd have thought God had already tested Abraham's faith, but here it says, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son Your only son. The only reason he's his only son is because one chapter earlier he sent away his first son, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him. Wait a minute. I'm not a math major, but one minus one is none. So he already, he he started out with two sons. God made him send one away, which left two minus one is one. And now he's telling me, take the one you have left. And sacrificing. That doesn't sound like a good deal. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. That eliminates a lot of church folks right there. He saddled his donkey. Everybody say a donkey. That'll be important in a minute. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants along with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering. And set out for the place God had told him about. Verse 4. On the third day. I'll remind you of that in a moment. On the third day of their journey. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants. And here's the crux of my entire message this morning. The boy and I will travel a little farther. King James says, we'll go yonder. But I like this translation for my sermon this morning. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship. Not here. Not where I am. I'm going to go a little farther and worship. I'm already preaching. If you're waiting on me to preach, I'm already there. I'm not just going to worship where I am. I'm going to go a little farther. And there I will worship. It ain't going to be easy to get from here to there. It ain't going to be what I wanted to do. It's not going to be pleasant. But when I get there, I'm going to worship because (laughs) I'm going where he told me to go. And we will come right back. My sermon series that I began last week, this is part two of a series that I've called I'm Better Than This. I'm better than this. Well, pastor, you don't know where I am. It doesn't matter where you are because no matter where you are, you're better than this. No matter where you are, no matter how happy or unpleasant your life is right now, you are better than this. You can be doing more. You can be doing better. Your existence can be more full. You can have a better experience with God. Your marriage could be richer. Your faith could be stronger. There's always another level to God. No matter how long you've been walking with Him, that's the mystery of Him. That no matter how long I've been walking with Him, I never figure all of Him out, and I never get to fullness of His experience. So I want you in this place right now before you're seated to look at two or three people and just tell them you're better than this. Can you do that? You're better than this. Hallelujah. And you may have your seat. Uh Uh-huh. I'm better than this. This being where I am right now. 
In this job, I can be better than this. In this marriage, I can be better than this. Raising these kids, I can be better than this. I don't have to have all of my... What Abraham shows me here, before I start preaching, is that no matter what my circumstances are right now, I can be better than this. And if that's true, then that tells me that what's going on around me isn't as important as what's going on inside me. There is a doctrinal and a theological law that I won't break down for you right here, but it's called the law of first mention. When you read scripture, it means the first time you encounter a theme, an idea, or a word, it sets the tone for that word throughout scripture. And this passage is the first time we encounter the word worship. First time in the Bible that you see the word worship is in this passage. And God told Abraham to take his son, his only son, up on Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. Verse 1 says that God was testing Abraham's faith. Testing his faith. How many of you have had your faith tested? I mean, I'm not talking to all you holy religious nuts. I'm talking to the real people. I'm talking to the real people who knows what it feels like that you love Jesus, but you've also thought about quitting a time or two. I, I, I'm talking about the, those of you that, 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 that you stayed together, not necessarily because you loved them and, and you had uh, ooshy-gushy feelings in your gut, but you know God don't like divorce. Y'all not going to help me right there. I, I'm talking about some of you would have done strangled half of your children, but you know God don't like murder. I mean, some of you that have thought about Backing up, backing down, or stopping. I know it's not nice to talk about that on Sunday morning in the middle of a church house surrounded by phony baloney Christians who acts like they got everything together. But how many of you will be real this morning and say, life has smacked me so hard sometimes that I have actually thought about backing up and quitting? Amen? Will you, so I'm in a room full of, uh, at least everybody ain't a hypocrite in here. So the first time that we encounter the word worship, God is testing his faith, and Abraham calls it worship. Some of us don't think we can worship unless everything is going our way. Some of us think that worship only kicks in when everything else has been kicked out. But Abraham's faith was being tested more than it had ever been tested before and Abraham didn't call it a test or a trial or a difficulty. He didn't go on Facebook telling everybody, please pray for me. I don't think I'm going to make it. He didn't do any of that. He called it worship. I'm better than this. I'm better than this situation. I'm better than this test. I'm better than this trial I'm going through. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to act, I'm not even going to identify it as some kind of trouble because I would hate to give the devil his due. I would just like the devil to hear me say that no matter what hell brings against me, I'm going to call it worship. No matter how bad things break out in my season right now, I'm going to call it worship because the, the devil didn't bring this to me. God brought this to me. When they got up on the mountain, he told the young men with them, he said, stay here with the donkey. Me and Isaac are going to go worship. Now when he said we're going to go a little farther, he had a geographical location in mind, a higher place. He said we're going to go a little further. 
he made up his mind that if he was going to worship, he was going to have to go a little further than his comfort zone. Uh, so most of us have never went further. Can I preach to you for just a minute without hurting your feelings? Most of us have never really went further. We love people in our comfort zone, which means the law of reciprocity says, if I smile at you and you don't smile back, you got my last one. If I was good to you this morning, honey, I woke up this morning, why are you in such a bad mood? Well, three weeks ago, I told you good morning and you walked past me and didn't tell, and so now three weeks later, I'm still mad at you. That's the way we love at a comfort zone. You go to a restaurant 14 times, have great experiences, one time will ruin you forever. Because you never know what it's like to go a little further. Sometimes you have to go further in extending grace. Sometimes you've got to go a little further in giving people mercy. Sometimes forgiveness will require you to go a little further. And yes, sometimes if you're really going to worship God, you're going to have to go a little further than where you are right now. But most of us have never experienced worship in that further place. We have been where everybody else is. We've been wherever the people are comfortable. But most people have never ever done what Abraham said. I'm better than this. What I have experienced with God is not all I want from God. I'm better than this. What the troubles that have fallen at my feet don't, won't define me. I'm better than this. I'm going to go a little further. I'm going to go higher. I'm going to experience something new with God. So here's the thing that I want to encourage you about. When a person goes farther, when a church goes farther, stuff starts happening that you didn't expect to happen. Because God's presence becomes known to you in a new way when you go a little farther. Healings begin to take place in people's bodies and their marriages and their mind when you go a little farther. Miracles start happening when you get your mind set on going a little farther. So I'm going to give you four ways to go a little farther in worship. Are you with me this morning? I'm better than this. Say it out loud. I'm better than this. Uh -huh. So if you are better than this, you need to go a little farther. I'm going to give you four ways to do that. The first two are going to sound a lot alike, so I'll give them to you together. The first thing, if you're going to go farther, you need to take what, only what you need. Learn to only take what you need. And the second one is, leave anything behind that keeps you from getting there. Let me define those for you. Only take what you need. When you read this story, you'll find that he brought five things. He brought Isaac. He brought some wood. He brought a fire. He brought a knife. And he brought some servants with the donkeys. That's all he brought. He didn't pack his entire house up. He didn't bring his entire existence with him. He brought only what he needed to go a little farther. What does that tell me? As a student of the Word, that tells me that in order for me to get a little farther, there's some stuff that I had up to this point. 
See, I've been with God right here for a long time, Pastor. I've, I've been really enjoying my relationship with God. I, I've been trying. I've been. I, I've been down here, Pastor, and, and I've been. I've been. I used to be down there, but I got this far, and I've really. I've really enjoyed my my experience with God. But I feel like God wants me a little higher. But here's the thing: you don't realize is the stuff that you were able to drag this high. You won't be able to take it with you if you're going to go a little farther. If you're going to go a little higher, there's some stuff. There's some stuff that you're going to have to leave in order to get a little farther. And Abraham only took what he needed and was willing to leave behind anything that distracted him from getting there. Your excess baggage that you carry around. Your pride. Your ego. Your hurt feelings. Your offended spirit, your unforgiving attitude, your judgmental ways. You know how many folks are not in the kingdom today? Not because they never met a Christian, but because they did. And instead of welcoming them into the kingdom, they told them everything that was wrong with their life and it cut them off from the saving grace of Jesus Christ because I don't know if anybody's told you this or not, but there's only two things that's needed to be saved and none of it has to do with how they dress or whether they got earrings or tattoos or what kind of car they drive or what they do for a living. None of that matters. Did the pastor just say, yes, absolutely, and I'm as holiness as they come, but none of that matters to be saved. Why is man more religious than God? Some of us need to leave our excess baggage if we're going to go a little farther. I just lost half of you, so I'm going to preach to the rest of you for the rest of this sermon. Because some of you have never learned how to lay down the things that are distracting you from getting into God's presence. Number three, you have to learn how to make time for what's important. I'm going to slow down here because it's important that I teach you how to make time for what's important. If you're going to go a little farther, you're going to have to learn to recognize that everything is not important. If everything is important, nothing is important. If everything is a miracle, nothing is a miracle. If everybody, if, if everybody has something, then, then, then nobody has it because it, it's, it's unified across the board. So make time for what is important. The Bible says in verse 4 that Abraham walked three days up this mountain with everybody. On the third day, he could finally see where God was taking him. If you don't learn how to take time for what is important, you'll quit too soon. If you only live in the moment and don't really believe you're better than this, you will quit before you ever see your miracle. Notice that the Bible says he saw where God was calling him to. You mean to tell me he walked for three days? And couldn't see it, Pastor? I'm going to give you a hint about God. If you can't see it before you see it, you won't recognize it when it manifests itself. 
some of you have been praying for a relationship, and when the relationship showed up, you didn't recognize it because it wasn't what you thought it was going to look like. If you never saw it before you saw it. And when you laid eyes on it, when it showed up in your life, when you prayed for a job, you said, God, give me a job. You didn't know it was going to be that kind of a job. So when that blessing showed up, you didn't recognize it because you didn't see it in the Spirit before you saw it in your eyes. Most of us, when we come to worship, we only worship in the foothills. We do what everybody else is doing. How do I know that? Because it's been a problem that's been around ever since God made people. Moses goes up and spends 40 days on the mountain talking to God. When he comes back down, the whole church has backslid. They're dancing naked around a golden calf. You know everybody in Israel's camp didn't all throw their clothes off at once. One person started that. Somebody throwed their clothes off and everybody else went, Oh, is that what we're doing? All right. Well, we're doing that now. I thought we was holding this people, but I guess not. One person starts it and everybody else joins in and it's still that way today. Your worship level very seldom will ever exceed the people that you're sitting with right now. And I'm going to show you that, number four. You can't be afraid to go farther by yourself. Worship takes time. Not our time, God's time. And we plan our service. We start at 10.30-ish. We plan and we call it a worship experience. And we, we divide. We allot time for each service. We say, we're going to have time for prayer. We're going to have time for a sermon. And we're going to have time for singing. And we call that worship. But what that really is, is structure. And God and you deserve structure. But us structuring a time for worship doesn't mean worship ever happened. I've preached in churches where they had a designated time for worship, but worship didn't happen. I've seen churches and been uh, had to preach in churches where when you call them up for prayer, they, they designate a time for prayer, but nobody touched heaven. They set a time for you to fellowship, but nobody really... Fellowship. Why? Because most of us do what everybody around us does. And if you're going to go farther, if you don't get anything else I say this morning, get this. You will have to separate from those who are only willing to go so far. I'm not telling you to cut them out of your life. I'm not telling you to get a divorce. I'm not telling you to quit a job. What I'm telling you is when it comes to worship, you can't wait for them to show up where you want to be. you got to say, even if you don't come, honey. Listen, my wife said right here on the front row, and if I'm going to worship God, I don't care whether she's going with me or not because it's between me and him and not she and I. I'm not running out and getting a divorce, but I am running toward him. And when I get there, I'm not worried about who's surrounding me because I came here for an audience of one, and he's the only one who's going to meet my needs. The Bible says Abraham left the young men with the donkeys. 
Left them with the donkeys. Because these men were not going as far as Abraham was. They weren't going to worship. They were there to babysit the donkeys. You got two people kind of you got two kinds of people in your life. Those that are hungry for God and those that want to babysit the donkeys. You need to identify which one they are. Not so you can cut them out of your life because let me tell you something, you need both of these people in your life. You don't need somebody, you don't need everybody to be walking through Walmart speaking in tongues. You don't need everybody in your life to be so spiritual that you can't talk about a game of football with them without saying, well, you know, Jesus, you talk about that football and it's made out of leather. And leather we get from the hide of an animal. And Jesus drove out demons into the... Come on, man, I just asked you what the score of the game was. I didn't mean three points in a poem for you to get... You don't need everybody in your life to be so spiritually minded that they're no earthly good. But you need to be able to identify who they are in your life so you won't put unreasonable expectations on them. I've got a guy that, I, that does a lot of uh, work around this uh, church. He don't go to church here. Uh, and, and I don't have expectations. When, when he comes over, I tell him what needs fixed. And I just write him a check when it's done. I don't expect him to show up here on Sunday and come running to the altar. And it would be nice if that would happen, but that's not my ex My relationship with him is one of giving and exchanging goods and services. I ask him to do something he does that we write him a check. I'm not asking him to come and meet my spiritual needs. What do you think about the scripture in 1 John chapter 4? He's going to look at me like i got lobsters crawling out of my ears. Because that's not the relationship. You need to realize what kind of relationship you have with certain people. Some people are wanting to worship on the same level as you. And some people are just comfortable babysitting the donkeys. And they're incredibly good people. And you need somebody to watch the donkeys while you go worship. Somebody say amen. But you need to be willing to leave them behind. So you can go a little farther if you're indeed wanting to meet with God. Go over to Philippians chapter 1 and you'll find Paul the Apostle in jail again. And here he is all these years after he planted the church in Philippi and he's in prison and he's writing a letter back to that church that he started several years before. Technically he's not in prison, he's in house arrest. The th funny thing about it was he had to rent the house that he was incarcerated in. It's kind of like paying for your own prison. That's a great deal, isn't it? So Paul is paying rent. He's, he's on house arrest. He can't leave. And he's there because a Jew, a bunch of Jews, lied on him. And he was convicted of a crime that he didn't convict, uh, commit. And he's held in jail by this crooked politician who's hoping that somebody will pay a bribe to get Paul out of jail. Paul's been through a lot. Go back and read the book of Acts. You'll find out he was... He was arrested one time as a political favor. He was called crazy by the judge when he stood in front of him. And he had to appeal to Caesar. On the way to see Caesar, he gets shipwrecked, stuck out on an island where he gets snake bit. All the while, he ends up back home as an old man, broken down, broken up, and they throw him in jail. And he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, 
And at the end of his ministry, and as messed up as things have been in his life, he uses two words in these four chapters over and over and over. You know what those two words are? Distress and trouble, Pastor? No. Turmoil and defeat? No. The two words that he uses over and over is joy and rejoice. Sixteen times in four chapters, he uses the words joy or rejoice. How in the world is this brother not clinically depressed? How does he not need medication? After everything he's been through. Now, I'm not down on Christians who get depressed. If you was here last Sunday, you realize that if you're depressed and, and you find yourself sometimes fighting depression, you're in good company. Because the Bible says Elijah got depressed and John the Baptist got depressed and Jeremiah got depressed and Jonah got depressed. I'm not down on you if you ever get depressed. But one thing I know to be true, and that is joy in the Christian life is not an ever-springing well that you can pull from. Joy has to be fought for. Joy has to be contended for. And you have to guard your joy. You have to cultivate joy. It's not just something that springs up because you got saved. You got to fight to get joy. And listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, when I think about you, I thank my God every time I remember you. How many people in your life that every time you think of them, are you thankful for them? Or are you just thankful for them when they do? See, Paul's talking about a relationship that goes a little farther. This is, this is the kind of relationship where you say, I'm better than this. You may not be treating me the way I want to right now, but I'm thankful for you. And the value of you is not tied up in what we're going through right now. I thank God for you every time I remember you. And verse 4, he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray, and there's that word again, with joy. Can I tell you that the healthiest of all human emotions is gratitude? Can I tell you furthermore that some of you have lost some things in your life simply because you wasn't grateful you had them in the first place? You can't ask God to give you a job and then become ungrateful for the job you got. You can't ask God to bring people into your life and then when the people show up, you're like, is this the best? This is not, this is not the time for you to get uh, uh, too, too, too big for your britches, as my grandmother used to say. You need to learn how to have an attitude of gratitude about everything. Because what I found out about gratitude is this. At the more I become grateful for what I have, the more I have to become grateful for. Now Paul is in prison. He's not sure whether he's going to live or die. And he is filled with joy. And not only is he filled with joy, he writes this letter to the church at Philippi and says, I want you to have joy too. He says crazy things like rejoice evermore. And again, I say rejoice. Nobody smiles all the time unless they're a lunatic. A little rain falls into all of our lives. But Paul's confidence, what he was telling us is his confidence and his joy never came from his circumstances. His confidence came from who God is. And I've preached all morning to get to this point. See, your circumstances will change. 
And if your joy is tied up in how somebody is treating you or how your job is going or how things are going in the community or how things are going on your social media, if your joy is tied up in circumstances, here's one thing that will never fail. Your circumstances will change. But if your joy is tied up to who He is and what He does and what He says about you, you can take that to the bank. I'm here to tell somebody that if you're confident and your joy is in who the Lord is you've got the strength of the Lord on your side and you can have everlasting joy in who he is so so Paul is in prison and he says that doesn't change God God is still God whether I'm in jail or I'm free God is still God whether I'm cold or I have warmth God is still God when I'm employed and when I'm standing in the cheese line God is still God when they love me and treat me good. And he's still God when they walk out on me and leave me to fend for myself. It has everything to do with perspective. I've been talking a lot about perspective lately. It's something that's churning in my spirit and I can't seem to get away from it. You see, this room looks different depending on where you're looking at it from. What you see right now is different than what I see. I could write a book. I've been preaching for over 20-some years. I've preached hundreds at a time. Sometimes I've preached three, four times a week for over 20-some years. I have seen some stuff. I have caught people in some vulnerable moments while I'm up here preaching and just scanning along. And some things you can't unsee. It's burned into your brain. And to as bad, I mean, I could go home and wash my eyes out with Clorox and it won't take away. Some of the stuff that I have seen while I've been preaching to people in churches, <laughs> and, and, and I, I could write a book, but it's all about perspective. See, you don't see it because you're focused up here. Which, by the way, this church looks different depending on what your perspective is. Some people think this is the church. So when they come in, they want to see what the pastor looks like. They want to see what the praise team sounds like. And their perspective of the church is what goes on up here. But that is a very small perspective. So I say, amen. I can come into this room and I can look at any demographic in here and say, there's nothing but women that go to this church because that's all I see. I can come into this room and say, everybody in this church is the same color as me or the same age group as me. It's all about perspective. I'll give it to you like this. Do you remember when you was in high school and you thought you was fat? And now you look back at them pictures and you're like, who is that skinny person wearing my face? Perspective. What you would not give at this age To be that fat again? Uh Uh-huh. You look back at the pictures and and you can remember looking in the mirror saying, i got to lose some weight. I'm so... And now, perspective has changed. Uh So, (laughs) So if your perspective is too narrow, you miss a lot of what God is doing in your life. 
And that's what I want to point out to you as I get ready to close about what Paul says. Because I want to answer the question, how is Paul so joyful? Because your perspective in times of difficulty makes all the difference. It's not what's happening to you. It's what that causes in you. When I hold a donut, I can, I can look forward to the donut. Or I can stare at the hole. Makes a difference. The donut looks delicious. The hole looks like something's missing. And some of your marriages are a donut in your hand. Some of your careers are a donut in your hand. Some of your faith with God is a donut in your hand. And you keep looking at the hole saying something's missing. But you don't realize that your perspective will change. And what is holded in your hand is more appealing than you're letting on. But your perspective is too narrow and you can't see the big picture. This is what Paul says in Philippians 1 verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, dear brothers... That what has happened to me really served to advance the gospel. It wasn't seminary that made me a good preacher. It it wasn't learning hermeneutics and exegesis that made me the talented uh, writer that I am. It's the stuff that happened to me. It's the hell I went through. And I want you to know that it didn't make me bitter, it made me better. I want you to know that it didn't make me resent the people in my life. It made me realize all the devil was doing wasn't pushing me away from God. He was pushing me toward God, toward my destiny, toward my revelation. He was pushing me where God wanted me to be. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He said, people have lied about me. There's been riots because of me. I've been beat nearly to death. I have been shipwrecked. I have been snake bit. There's been slanderings. There's been whispers. There's been accusations. I have went through all of this, and none of it has made me worse. It's made me a better Christian. But do you really believe in a word that I throw around all the time called providence? See, I'm completely sold out to the idea that God is in control of everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And if I believe in God's providence, then that means that I believe God is in charge of everything that happens to me. Not just when things are going well, not just when I'm healthy, not just when the bills are paid. But even when I am fighting for my life, I realize it is furthering the gospel. I don't see how and I don't know why, but this is helping me further the gospel. How could Paul be so positive? Well, I'm glad you asked. After all, he's chained, the Bible says, it has become evident to all the palace guards. That I'm in chains for Christ. How did it become so evident to the palace guards? He was chained to what was known as the praetorian guards. They were the elect of the elect of the guards at that time. He was chained to them 24 hours a day. Now, you do a little study and you find out that they would change shifts every six hours. And he was chained to two of them. So every six hours, Paul was chained to two different guards for over a period of over two years. I did the math. That means four guard changes a day, two guards at a time. That's 28 times a week, 2,900 
guard changes in the span of two years. Paul was chained to these poor souls. See, the devil thought he had Paul chained to the guard. But by the time two years was over, the Bible says the guards found themselves chained to Paul. Because everything that happened to me has helped further the gospel. You know how that happened? Because every time Paul started praying in tongues, he was chained to them guards. Every time a visitor showed up and they started singing victory in Jesus together, that guard was chained to Paul. Every time the glory would fall and Paul would start doing a dance, that guard was chained to Paul. I came here to tell somebody this morning that Paul found his purpose at the end of a chain. And you, my friend, will find your purpose at God's chain. And what he's got you tied to Paul wasn't chained to them God set it up so they were chained to Paul he wanted to reach those guards so he allowed his best preacher to be falsely accused arrested on the trumped up charges and chained for two years so he could reach the palace guards what if in this season, God's calling you to go farther? What, what if you have to climb a mountain that you don't think you're capable of climbing? What if you find yourself in this season at the end of a change, tied to something that you wish was different? Are you willing to go a little farther to worship? I'm better than this. I'm not about to just go and file divorce papers willy-nilly. I'm better than this. I'm not about to go off the handle and slap somebody. I'm better than this. I'm not about to give up on that kid because they've been so sinful for so long. I'm better. I'm going to have to go a little farther. I'm not going to be able to do it from where I am. i got to go a little farther, even if I have to go by myself. Even if I find myself chained to somebody who's killing me. Even if I find myself chained to a job that does not satisfy me. Even if I find myself chained to people who aren't good to me, who abuse me, who neglect me, who manipulate me, who lie about me, who scandalize my name, I'm still willing to go a little farther in worship because who I'm chained to doesn't equal who I'm trying to reach. I'm chained to difficulty. I'm chained to hurt. I'm chained to pain. I'm chained... To struggle. But I'm going farther than I've ever been. I came here this morning to tell somebody, it's not over yet. Your life's not over. Your dreams aren't over. Your marriage is not over. Because if the devil didn't give it to you, the devil can't make it go away. God said, I started a thing. I'll be responsible for finishing a thing. Pastor, you don't know what I'm chained to this morning. You'll find your purpose at the end of your chain. 
Because Paul says all this stuff is working together for good. The shipwreck, the snake bite, the lies, the accusations, the slander, the imprisonment. He was maneuvering you. Hear me, and I'm going to get out of your way. All that pain that you're chained to, it's trying to keep you from going farther. But what you have to realize sitting in this room this morning is that God was using that pain. He was using that. I'm speaking directly to somebody this morning. He was using that struggle that you are, are chained to, that marriage that you're chained to, that agony you're, pain, you're chained to, all of that stuff that you are chained to, God has been using that to position you and to maneuver you and turn the fire up against you and move some people out of your life and move the right people into your life. And the reason was because He's wanting you to go farther than you've ever gone. I am better than this. I'm not going to stay here where I'm crippled. I'm going to get up and walk. If that's relevant to you this morning, would you stand to your feet all over this place? Would you just stand? Not everybody, but if that's relevant to you this morning, throw your hands in the air. I feel healing virtue in this house. I'm not done, but I'm going to quit. I feel healing virtue in this house. My God, my God, my God. Some of you came into this room tied up and you were seeking a word that was going to tell you you was going to get loose, but I'm not going to tell you that you're going to get loose. I'm telling you that what you've been tied to needs to witness you go a little farther. See, some of us, all we want is loose from that job or loose from that relationship. We want loose from the pain. We want loose from the sickness. We want loose from... But Paul says, I didn't get loose from it. I worshiped right where I was. Abraham said, I'm going to go kill my only son, and I'm going to call it worship. Sometimes you don't get loose from the stuff that's killing you. You drag it into your place of worship. God's wanting to give you the strength right now in the name of Jesus to drag your circumstances into your worship experience. He wants to give you the strength to drag your circumstances into your worship experience. It didn't kill you because it don't have the power to kill you. You're here because God's called you to here. And He wants to know, are you willing to go a little farther. Are you willing to go a little farther? Are you willing to go a little farther? Are you willing to go a little farther? Some of you have only been where you are. And it's all you've ever experienced because you've let the chain tie you to your experience. God wants to empower you this morning. He's not going to let you loose. I feel this in my spirit. He's not going to untie you and let you go. He wants to give you the strength to drag your, your experience into the presence where it will know, they will know that everything that happened to you made you better.
I could give this microphone to every person in this room and every one of you could tell me about horrible things that happened to you in your life and God made them better. But I have to believe he didn't waste this word. There's something in somebody that hasn't made you better yet. And I feel like he wants you to drag that thing up to this altar this morning. I feel like he wants you to put it over your shoulder and drag it up here to a worship experience where it will witness that it couldn't break you, it couldn't kill you, it couldn't defeat you, and it couldn't destroy you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to witness. They're going to witness. This period of my life is going to witness that it wasn't bigger than my God. It helped further the gospel. Because the fact that I didn't break, the fact that I didn't quit, the fact that I didn't die, that's my sermon. I'm preaching this morning. I'm in this house of God. I'm in this altar and I'm preaching. I'm preaching that my God lives and He's given me the strength to drag my experience into His presence. Several have already come. Is there anybody else that feels the need? I'm just going to leave you and you and Him alone. You're preaching right now. Everyone in this altar, you're preaching. You're preaching. You're preaching. You're preaching to your trouble. You're preaching to that past that you're chained to. You're preaching to the pain that you carried up here. And you're telling them, my God is able. He hasn't given up on me and I'm not going to give up on Him. I'm going to get my healing this morning. Right here in the presence of my worst season of my life, I'm going to receive healing. Because I'm going to go a little farther. Would you go a little farther? Would you go a little farther? Do you need to go a little farther? If you do, this altar, this altar is open for you.